Yo, 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 yo. What's good? It's your boy Roy, and this is another episode of Sync Gems. Today, we have Tom Geyer. Tom Geyer is the owner of Brand X. Brand X is an amazing company I've been following for a long time, but his journey to starting it is so fascinating and the way he got himself out of playing gigs and basically doing music to survive as opposed to making music that makes him lifelong income. And we talk about this transition as well. His conversations with Hans Zimmer, he expands about his experiences in the industry and he does it in a hilarious way. He has his pipe, which was given to him because of his beard, but he'll tell the whole story. And he takes it out every time he says something smart or significant. When he gets, uh, when he gets deep and stuff, he, he usually didn't do it, but it was such a great episode with so many insights. And I'm so grateful to have had him and to have talked to this person because he is something else, for real. You are gonna see why. If you want to support this podcast, go rate and review it. It really helps. Share and reshare all the posts on socials if you can, if you feel inclined to. Of course, this really helps push the podcasts and also for me to get it into more amazing people's radars. So that way I can also have amazing guests. The collaboration with Michael Moss is going on till next week. The 30% off his sync business course is going to be over in the coming month um you'll still have a discount but i don't think it'll be a 30 percent anyhow if you want to get into it sync gems 30 in the checkout will get you 30 percent off his course links will be in the show notes and without further ado my man, Tom Geyer. We are on, man. Um, I'm sorry, I might, I might uh, mispronounce your name. Is it Geyer? Yeah, or wow. Jai- first time. Yes. No, you got it right. Geyer with a G, like my dad used to say, fire with a G. Geyer, and people man, Ray, I mean, they do all kinds of wonderful re- reinterpreted. Now it's just meat and potatoes, American stuff, man. Man, I was in the shower thinking about this. I swear to God, I don't, I, I don't know what this means, but I was like, I was, <laughs> I was. We brought um, our beard game here, and I. Uh, another fun, fun fact is, I was thinking about taking this beard off this morning, and then I was no. like, man, I have Tom on. There's no way I'm doing that. There's power in the beard. I mean, a lot. When I, I, it started out as a dare. This is so crazy tandem, but m- my family and I are sitting in a restaurant, and there was this youngish dude with his girl over sitting at another table right um epic beard i mean it it was it was flowing man and my son goes to me he goes dad you would never grow a beard like that because i had a little short like jerry Bruckheimer. i haven't shaved in a couple of days that was my trip for a while and then i did the goatee for a minute and so the dare to do sort of the giant wizard beard i'm like I'll do that. I'm not going to shave until Thanksgiving. And it was like early spring or something. And I have pictures 
and it, it goes Santa Claus. It starts going in like rings mm. if it goes much longer than this. Whoa. So I had this curly ass, you know, whatever this was <laughs> happening. And it, it was too much. But when I took it back, it's like it just became a thing. So much so that for Christmas that year, my son oh, bought me wow. a, a full out. This is, this is, this is going to be. So I'm just going to hold this during you know, some of the interview, perhaps. Please, <laughs> please. You, you will have to take that at times. Like when, you, when you're when you speaking that wisdom, I, I, I might just, uh, uh, just so tell you be, to put it in. Yeah, well, that, that, That's okay, the gem stick. Tr- here's the truth bomb coming. Here's, <laughs> here's the gem stick. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. so good to have you. I've, Thank uh, you, glad to be here. I've been a fan of your, uh, I've been a fanboy of your label for a while, to be honest. Like, uh, Thanks, I've, yeah, I've, everyone who works with you, composers have such good opinions about you. Um, because when I, when I uh, research a library, I always speak with the composers. And, you know, like, it really stuck out to me the way that people spoke about uh, you and your team was just uh, above a lot of the... Wow of the um, companies I've heard of and we will touch everything on your way to becoming and having that uh, Mm. amazing ecosystem. Um, But I would first love to hear your story up to this point growing up because you have, again, your, your trajectory to here is so cool. (laughs) It's crazy. So yeah, let's, let's get it. Let's do it. All right. Well, so, you know, the, I think one of the reasons that Brand X is, you know, what it is, is that John, my business partner and I are both musicians, right? We both were little kids that were infatuated with music that for some reason found our way onto the piano bench and we're able to tap into something, right? And you, I mean, you have guitars. What's your, what's your main instrument? Are you a musician? You're a guitar player. Yeah. You know, but but you meet people, you know, arguably, I'm going to name drop. Wait, hold on. I'm going to do it already. Oh, 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 oh. I'm going to invoke the name name Hans Zimmer. Here's the name drop. You know, Hans would say. (laughs) 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 Oh, wow. It's going to happen. Oh, crap. You know, (laughs) it's, it's the whole thing about I play the computer or I'm, you know, I'm a guy who hangs out with musicians. So you don't even have to be like a shredding musician in order to be a composer. And that's one of the things that I think brings people to it. Right. Mm. But John and I were both very serious musicians and we expressed ourselves in different ways. I was a jazz guy and John was uh, a classical and a songwriter and a technician. Right. Uh, And we never, I still don't think we've lost that. Right. We built a thing because we were artists and we wanted to get paid (laughs) to make art. Right. And we found this wonderful way to create this little machine that turns music into money, but it doesn't do it in such a weird way that it loses the joy that I'm going to make the music. The fact that I can get paid. I mean, and this goes for every person that makes their living in the arts somehow. Right. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to get paid to make my living, creatively uh baking bread making music playing the guitar uh, uh, painting murals well whatever it is right 
I know the struggles. And so if I'm in charge of that machine, I'm going to try to lessen those struggles for the people that were where I used to be struggling. That, it's this little thing, right? It's so cheesy, but it really is something that we believe in that we really try to do, you know? Um, so I would say that that's why it, it really means a lot to me that you started by saying that you've talked to the, the artists that we work with on our label and that are in our roster and they're happy <laughs> uh, because we work our butts off to make sure that that's the case. We really do. Um, so my story was like, John, you know, I, I heard music in my head. I'm one of the weirdos that has per oh, here it comes. <laughs> I happen to have perfect pitch. So, yeah. you know, if that's a thing, what that means is that notes are absolute in my brain. So I hear something and it goes A minor seven, D seven, G, E minor. It's, it's, it's so literal that I can't shut it off. Right. It, it, I can't unhear it, but that means when I hear something on TV at a four year old, I climb up onto the piano bench and somehow I, I poke it out and the parents go, Hmm, piano lessons might be good for this guy. And so I was also, you know, to be perfectly honest with you guys, an insecure chubby kid that didn't play sports well. And I grew up in a very rural part of America where kind of the, one of the way outs was to either be good at manual labor and hard work and building things and that kind of stuff, or you were good at sports and that would get you to a university, which would get you to a larger place, which you could then go from, right? And I, that none of that was going to work for me. I had a couple of school teachers for parents who moved out to the country because they wanted to have some land and raise some chickens. <laughs> mm. But they were out there with hardcore dairy farmers and, you know, very, I don't even, I mean, there's plenty of intellectual people. And these people had smarts that book learners hadn't, I mean, they knew stuff about the earth and about animals and about the way nature worked that my college parents were just clueless about, right? So music for me was a refuge from that. And it was something that I could do to get attention and positive stuff back because I was good at it where a lot of people weren't. Right. So it was it was a party trick, I, I guess, at some level. And then <laughs> when I was eight, I had been playing for the school choir, like for their little concert. And the lady that ran the choir gave me a thank you card for after the show. And there was like, I don't know, nine bucks in it or something, which was all the money in the world when you're nine years old or eight years old. And it clicked in my brain, hey, I do this. People seem to dig it. I might be able to meet girls, which, you know, I don't know at what age that that became part of the equation, but I might be able to meet people, right? And those people would have something that I can communicate a part of me that I can't do any other way that they might find interesting. And so music was just a gateway to get to know other people. And so I did a lot of playing um you know high school jazz band was kind of the first time i'd read a chart but it was it was all classical piano lessons for me so it was it was the hand and book and learn the scales and play mozart and play beethoven and i was never very good at it i took a lot of lessons i'd get to the concert and i'd either have a like a panic attack and nerve out and make mistakes or i'd have a mental fart uh and I'd get lost and then I'd improvise until I knew where I was again. And then I'd, you know, nobody in the audience except somebody who actually had played the piece might even know that that had happened. But then I'd get the notes from the judges back. You cannot improvise. <laughs> it is not okay. And so it's like, oh boy, but I want to do the music in my head, not the music that is on the page so much. 
And then somebody said at some point, hey, there's this thing called jazz, and they take songs that other people have written, but then they kind of just make up stuff. And so I heard Dixieland first, which I thought was jazz, right? I remember just hearing guys, okay, there's the tune, but now it seems like, yeah, the clarinet guy's just making this stuff up, and then they all sort of jam together. So I remember going to jazz band the first day, and I sat down, you know, I'm going to play this thing. And it starts off, and I start doing this Dixieland stuff, and the director, stop, stop, what are you doing? Uh, I don't know, playing the thing? That's not jazz. Second chair, sit, show him. And this person plays jazz, right? And I was like, okay, so there you go, right back down into the bucket you go, and now you look up for the jazz teacher, and you learn how to do that, right? <laughs> And if I had an analogy for sort of how the career goes, that's what it is. It's like you think you've made progress. Then you're actually around the person who does the thing and they show you just how bad you are at the thing you think you're good at, mm -hmm. which makes you then learn how to actually do it. Because instead of imitating it, you're working with the person that actually does it and you have to transcend if that makes any sense. Right. You can practice with all of the jazz great records you want, but then you play a gig with one of those guys. That's a whole different animal, right? And all the rehearsal in the world can't get you ready for the moment when you get to do that. And so writing music and doing sync and all of that stuff has kind of just followed that. So playing piano in the band, learn a little bit about jazz, but was also playing musical theater because there was a local dinner theater and I could play show tunes and run a little pit band. And I, this was all to make money, right? This was instead of delivering newspapers or working wherever 13 to 18 year old kids work, right? I wasn't flipping burgers. I was playing musical theater with a trio. Wow. And so uh, I could play that stuff. I could play a little bit of jazz. I had some classical music chops and I could make a demo tape which got me a scholarship to college, which got me to be able to come to California. That was the whole goal. Get out of Washington, get away from the cows, move to California. I, I wanted to be near Disneyland. I wanted to have a swimming pool and I wanted to be in California where the weather was nice most of the time. And that's really all. And I knew that if I played the piano, I might be able to get there. <laughs> so that gets me to LA. I'm doing college. College sucks. I'm taking money to be there. They don't want me to play jazz. They want me to play for the musical and for the recitals and for the dance thing and for the auditions for this. And now put on a tux and go play for the president's fundraiser. And it was just, it, it wasn't for me and I wasn't for them. And it was just a bad fit, right? No, no harm, no foul. It had got me to LA, but this is where, I don't know what you want to call it. Random chance, the universe, whatever. I'm sitting in my dorm room and I had a keyboard. I had a Prophet 600. I actually remember the keyboard, right? It was like the first MIDI synth that was ever made. And then the DX7 came out like five minutes later and then nobody wanted the Prophet 600. Everybody wanted the DX and I was done. But it was sitting in there and I was playing jazz out of the boom box and this cat walks by and he sees the window open and he goes, you a musician? Yeah, cool. Uh, and we get to chat and then it turns out he lives up in Topanga Canyon and he goes to Pepperdine where I'm at college to use the pianos in the practice room because his house doesn't have a piano, but he's a sax player. 
And so we start talking music and it turns out he knows a guy whose charts I love. And, you know, he plays in a band with a guy that's from LA that does arrangements that I've played. And he says to me casually, you know, Hey, have you ever thought about how's college? That's a drag. How have you ever thought about working on a cruise ship? Uh, no, not really. Why? He says, well, if you ever want to, you know, you call this guy. And he gave me a number of a dude in Century City who was the contractor for Princess Cruises for all of the show musicians, the guys that did the, you know, in the show bands. And so I called the guy and he said, yeah, we're always looking for piano players. Can you read charts? Yeah. Have you ever played with a click? Sure. <laughs> and Oh, sorry. And I get a job. Uh, he says, okay, you're leaving three weeks. And so I went and played click track shows on a cruise ship behind dancers and, you know, the, the magic, the magic act and the guest singer and all that. So all of that musical theater stuff as a kid, I was using all that vocabulary out there. They were super happy. The musicians on board because, um, when we were doing the dance set, that was jazz, right? That's when the musicians got to play kind of whatever they want while the people came into the room. And, uh, so they liked it cause I could improvise the people in the shows liked it because I could fill behind the ballad. You know, I played musical theater enough to know how to do that. And I was a kid who hadn't been anywhere. And now I'm working on this ship, making money, alcohol's half off. And I wake up every day in a new country. It was great. Right. So college kind of became superfluous to me. And I did that for about five years, six years. And, uh, I met my wife. I, uh, I was down in, in New Zealand and she was, she's a piano player and a singer. She does jazz and she was in the guest trio. Right. And so we, we met and hit it off, came back to LA. Now I'm doing gigs. So I, I'm playing like out in Palm Springs for Radeon's having a big party or these companies come to Palm Springs to do their corporate stuff. And they've got pop bands and jazz bands and all this stuff. So I was working out there a lot, but I'm beginning now. I've also got a wife and now I've got a kid and I'm 26, I guess, 27. And I'm thinking being a musician means that when you turn the crank sausage comes out the end. Uh Oh, there you go. The stick is in the stick when is you in stop, guys. If you're when you listening stop turning to the crank. Yeah, exactly. Yes, please. Yeah. Everybody pay attention. Here it comes. Stick time. Stick time. Turn the crank sausage comes out. Don't turn the crank, no sausage. Hmm. Am I going to be able to turn the crank for the next 50 years? And then what happens when I don't want to turn the crank anymore? Mm. The musician's conundrum, right? Uh, because at that point, you know, I was never going to dance around on stage and have a hit record. And not, none of that was even in my radar. And I saw the rate that jazz musicians made. You know, you've got all of these guys working down here. And you could go to a club in L.A. and see Vinnie Caluda and Abe Laboreal Jr. And I mean, just these legends. And they're playing jazz gigs for 75 bucks and trying to sell the records that they've made with their own money. (laughs) And it's just like, wow. And then you go to a recording session and these same people show up half an hour before the gig and there's a stack of music this deep on it and it goes like this and they're they're sight reading it right and you go into that room and you watch those guys do those people do that men women everyone who's in that room is it such a high level that it literally lit my hair on fire and sent me home crying, right? <laughs> 100%. 
And so in order to do that life, you have to be so good. And the, the talent, the sight read is so scary that, you know, I really reached a point in the whole thing where I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? Uh, and so, you know, I met a guy who knew a guy and I'd always liked TV music. And at that time, you know, Dave Grusin and, and uh, I'm trying to think of these other guys, some of the more smooth jazz artists of the day had crossed over and were doing TV show themes, right? There was a lot of shows and then the, the firm is a movie that was made Tom Cruise in it. That's all Dave Grusin playing just acoustic piano. And so some of the musicians were crossing over into becoming composers and media guys at some level, right? But uh, the technology to do that wasn't really there yet. You still had to go to a studio and pay money to record instruments that you didn't own, right? And so you had to have a hit record to be able to have the luxury to be able to do that for a TV show. It didn't work the other way around. Mm -hmm. And so we got hired at first, John and I. So John and I had met through a mutual friend, and he's doing TV with MIDI, right? And so he's got a stack of 760s and a bunch of orchestral samples and he's doing orchestral sounding mock-ups i've been working uh as a live keyboard player but i've also been doing sequences for the band so i've been programming pop tracks which led to a gig to do like remixes for karaoke bars of stuff so i get you know here's the top 40 now you're going to make these but you're going to go oops and do do dance beat versions of them and then they're going to sing in seven dialects and that goes on a laser disc and that's going to go to the karaoke bars in vietnam Here's a check for $1,500, right? Mm. And that, so I did that for a long time. So when John and I met, I was the sort of going to do the electronic component. And John was very much the guy that could do a pretty, for the time, convincing fake orchestra with MIDI, right? And John had a client who had been doing trailers. He cut trailers and had been doing gigs like for Hallmark Home Video, like really low budget, off-brand stuff. Um, but then he got an opportunity to do the Matrix, and they were talking about licensing. Licensing, yeah, you know, you got to remember at the time, library music wasn't a thing. Custom trailer scores wasn't a thing. If it was, you were using a guy that was writing an orchestral score with pencil and paper, and then recording it with an orchestra, right? Mm. And so, the gig became well, we don't want to pay a huge bunch of money to a band to license one of their songs, their tracks. We don't want to pay a huge bunch of money to a famous film composer to license a piece of music that won't sound or do what it is we want to do. Uh, so we want to custom score it, but we don't want to hire somebody that's just going to pencil and paper it and then say, we'll see you at the scoring stage. You get what you get, you get what you get. Right. And so we began this thing of sonic experimentation of recording stuff. We did, I mean, hundreds of demos over six months probably. And it would go up to the producer and they would say no. And then some executive at Warner Brothers would hear it and go, can't you put steel drums in it? Wouldn't that be nice? And you're going, how did I get from disco remixes to nine inch nails to steel drums? I have no idea. <laughs> and eventually, you know, we landed one and it went to finish and blah, blah, blah. And then they came back for another one. And then the third thing out was Warner Brothers is doing Harry Potter. John Williams has recorded the Hedwig's theme with the London Symphony. Um, but it doesn't sound like trailer music. It's got no balls. And so we're, we're going to have to punch this up. I mean, nobody said the word trailerize at the time, but that's exactly what it was. Mm. And so we, oh God, I'll never remember. I'll never forget. It's, it's not even a wisdom. It's just, it'll make you sick to your stomach. 
we get the thing and remember there's they have to bring it to you by hand there's no dropbox there's no download the file a runner came like a guy in a car yeah. shows up in the driveway with an that's envelope. when by the way uh see so whatever year harry potter 2004 five yeah probably i would say you know yeah. we were burning cds and you would call and say this is ready the guy would come he would take the envelope with the cd they'd drive it to the edit bay the guy would put it in the edit bay pull the music in shove it on two of his eight audio tracks that he had total and then you'd get a phone call and they'd talk about the music so you could do maybe three revisions in a 16-hour day right maybe yeah so that's you'd spend months on these but you'd still only get you know because of the how slow the process was at the time because of the technology you couldn't go fast you could only go as fast as the messenger can show up. So uh, the messenger shows up and it's got a, a digital audio tape, a DAT, D-A-T. And I put it in and I hit play and John's janky ass DAT machine eats this tape. Just <laughs> and oh, I no. go to pull it out and it goes and I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, so the untested trailer guys in the middle of nowhere in their janky home studio are now calling Warner Brothers and goes, we ate the master DAT. Can you send us another one? Right. This cannot happen. This is not how it's going to go. So I runner. No, I pull it out. I splice it. I put a little piece of tape on it. I wind it back up. We put it in and I get my pencil out and I transcribe this thing and we we build a MIDI mock up of it. Right. I, we played it like two times total. It's like, no, we, we got to get this thing transcribed. We got to learn it. And then we got to retire that, that date. Maybe I, you know what? I think John, we were able to capture it from the dat into like pro tools. Right. So we, once we got it off the dat tape, we digitized it. Then we could listen to it a million times. And we actually ended up like sampling the, the, the Celeste stuff and the, and the violin runs anyway, long story. We end up doing a ton of trailers for Harry Potter, and it was always sort of a bunch of original material with just enough stuff that sounded sort of like John Williams that wasn't actually using the Harry Potter notes. So we could keep that music as library music, which we were going to later be able to license to other people down the road. And we went like, uh, okay, but can we have money for doing this up front? Yes, you will. But this and this guy, you know, here's he gave us a truth bomb. I did, I can't even hold the stick because I this is not mine. This belongs to somebody yeah, else. Yeah. There will be a time when the music that you get paid for the stuff you've already done will outstrip any music that any any amount of money anybody could pay you today for doing it from scratch. Right, right at once you're going to get paid a thousand times versus writing it once and getting paid once and then you write it once get paid over and over and over and over and over right and it's the live musician now we're back to the sausage thing now i'm now this now the stick comes back right so if you do it once and you get paid once and then that's the extent of the life of the thing you always always have to make new material the flip side that if you have a machine that takes your effort one time and can turn it into people using it over and over and over that builds mailbox money that's what we call it mm-hmm. uh then your responsibility is just refreshing the front you just got to, now now you just got to keep putting meat in the sausage machine but you've got a motor on the crank basically mm. and so that's to me what sink income is how do you make a living see see how i did that i went all the way around yes. how do you go from performing one-offs whether you're singing for people or you're writing 
custom music that has one purpose and one purpose only uh, into something that is a sustainable way to make a living for the 50 years that you hope to be doing this, right? The only answer is to slowly build a catalog that is in enough places and used by enough people over enough time that the cumulative total of that will be more than you could have ever dreamed of doing by running around with a hammer and a sack of nails, right? So the transition, now this is the tricky part. I'm very used to, I do a certain job, I get a certain pay. I live on that certain pay. And as long as I'm repeating that cycle, I can pay my bills and my girlfriend likes me. <laughs> I can feed my dog and when she gets sick, I can go to the vet, right? All that stuff. Uh, and I work for free for now in hopes that down the road, someone's going to pay me. And then when they decide to, in fact, choose me as the winner and I send my invoice, that starts yet another clock that may take up to uh, 300 days in a terrible scenario to actually see the money show up in your account, right? Mm. So you have this an agonizing period where I'm getting finishes, I'm getting placements, there should be sync money. I know there's stuff on TV, but my BMI check is still zero. When am I going to turn the corner? When are the checks from Warner going to come in? When am I going to see the 4,000 times that my thing aired in in Australia actually show up on a BMI check? It takes a couple years to begin to see the very first trickles of water. And it takes many more years for that to turn into something that can fill up a cup that you can drink mm. on a cake, right? I tell my composers the same thing. Brand X is probably not going to make you enough money to change your zip code, right? I want to move from here to there because when I make more money, I want my life to be. But it's going to be a place where your effort is not wasted and hopefully your music is in places that it will have the most amount of impact for the least amount of work. And we'll have the longest shelf life we can do, right? And I'm not knocking anybody that's out there hustling and grinding and doing customs. We're behind the curveball, frankly, right? There are people out there, the, the totems and ghostwriters, and I mean, I love these people. I love their music. I love what they do. You know, everybody's got it. As you said, they're all individuals. They all have methodologies. They've all gotten there different ways, and no one's right, right? And we have made certain choices, John and I, because we feel of the pain of the musician, and we're always trying to think like the grown-ups that say, Save your money now, kid, because you're going to thank me later. And we sort of structured our business to think that way. But there's also something to be said for, yeah, but if you would have bought Apple when it was on the verge of shitting the bed at $8 a share, you'd be a gazillionaire now. But nobody took that chance. And the people that did aren't worried about money. So you have to be risky. You have to be innovative. You have to take chances. There's no one right answer. Um, but you really should be thinking about how do I keep the lights on now? And then how do I build something while I'm worried about keeping the lights on that will keep the lights on for me, right? You know, robots, it's the same thing. We're going to build the robot that's going to vacuum the house so that I don't have to spend the time vacuuming the house. I will be free to do the thing that really makes me happy, which is not vacuum the house or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But in a way it is, you know, we do, we do the music that we do and we use, I don't know, for you, I've, I've talked a lot. I'm going to ask a couple questions now. 
like when you sit down to do something and your computer screen is empty and nobody's telling you what to do, is that easy or hard for you? Like, is that scary or is that like, man, I can't wait to get in there without a brief and without any direction and just create something wild? Or are you a guy that prefers to like, hey, man, I got limited time and limited energy. And if I'm in there and I'm calling up the muse, I want to know what the hell I'm doing. Mm. Which are you? Oh, I, I, I'm a bit of both. So I love taking a weekend off and just, you know, just getting super duper duper creative because this is how, you know, this is how my emotions uh, go out. And just like you were, t- you were speaking about, your music was an extension of you. Mm-hmm. So that way you can actually express yourself to people. And then, you know, the, I also love working with good-ass labels that can tell me uh, what they think can be improved. And then um, these two can live together in an ecosystem where... Uh, I'm not doing it only for others. I'm also doing stuff for myself, but this, the, uh, um, but the two also can marry. And let's say I, I uh, sing a melody that I really, really hear in my head and then I make a trailer track out of it. Yep. Um, and, then, and then a label tells me what to do so it fits uh, uh, um, the, where the genre is going. And mm. to me... Um, there's no, there's no one way to go about it creatively because if there would be, I wouldn't be doing what I do today. Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. And so I think, you know, we're always fighting uh, one of the concepts that I've talked about before. Um, when art becomes commerce, it's no longer subjective, right? Mm. Uh, it, 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 it becomes completely the person who's paying you to do it becomes the authority on whether it's good or bad, right? It's not really up for debate. Um, where if it's not commerce and you're purely making art for art's sake, there it's com- it's completely up to the person creating it. And then it's also up to the person who's taking it in for them to form whatever opinion of it they want. There's no exchange between those two people other than a presentation and the, the, the sucking into the eyeballs and the ear holes, right? Yeah. Food, same thing. I cooked it, you taste it. If you like it, you're going to come back for more. Probably the chef doesn't want to know that you think his broth is a little heavy on the fish and that, you know, if he held back on the garlic, it might actually make his thing more palatable to a wider range of diners. You'd get your throat fucking cut, right? <laughs> and yet you, what you and I do, that's completely appropriate for the relationship between the consumer and the provider, right? Mm. So you have to grow a thick skin at some point, right? You write you write what you think is the, and this is, this is from day one and I still suck at it. I've been doing this 30 years. And when I put my guts into something and it gets thrown in the trash and I feel like even if it wasn't right, I don't feel like you took the time to even digest what I put into that fairly. You just went, no, next, don't, no, next. What the hell? I spent seven hours on that. And then I had to take a walk with my dog. And then I talked to my partner about it in bed for three hours and then i worked on it for two more days and you went no next but yeah no next because that person's job is to know what they hear and how it's going to work with sync there we're back to the word again right yeah because that's the game that's what we're doing it has to be the music has to be a partner with the visual that's the sync yeah so, so we have to work in that way so anyway yeah yeah go ahead yeah Please. yeah man that's a whew, that's so cool 
I want to actually go back. So y'all do the Harry Potter thing. Does that mm -hmm. bring about brand X? Is that how it happened? Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny, man. If you go, if, if you're sick enough in the head that you go to the brand X website and then you go to like the albums area and then you go onto the trailer library and then you go all the way back to, I don't even know if you can find it. I think we hit it, but there's volumes one and two and three and epic volume one, all this shit that's from the OG days, man. I mean, way back. Uh, the first two albums sound like Harry Potter. Then it sounds like Troy for a minute. And then it sounds like there's a bunch of sound design stuff. And it was back for Matrix again. And then I can't remember. You can totally hear what movies we're working on. And we were just keeping all of the stuff. And the advice we've been given is, you know, when you have 300 or so tracks, it's kind of funny, you have 300 tracks, then you can burn it onto CDs. And then you can hire somebody to go take those CDs around to all the trailer houses and give it to all the music supervisors. And then those music supervisors will put those CDs in their computers, load your tracks into their iTunes, and then they will pitch those tracks to the people cutting the trailers. Mm. This is what immediate music does. This is what X-Ray Dog does. This is what APM is doing. It's a viable way to do. And we're like, library music, isn't that what they play in elevators and really shitty television shows and it's terrible <laughs> and no one wants it? Yeah, that stuff, except it's not shitty. Listen, you know, an X-ray dog had just been up to Seattle and recorded it last year and had real choir and real orchestra. And the, it, the, I mean, they mixed the shit out of that stuff. It yeah. sounded so badass. And, you know, it's like, oh, this is this is not drum machine and somebody that can't quite play on the click and doing lounge. No. OK, I got you. And so it was really the bar was set really, really high. And so we took the Harry Potter stuff and we took all of that stuff and we blended it and mixed it with a love for Zimmer and a love for sort of the bigger score people that were beginning to bring those pop sensibilities to the table on that side of things. Right. I mean, that was all changing at the time too. And so brand X came from those collections of tracks, which we, in fact, it, I, boy, I wish I had it. It it's yellow. And for a long time, people would tell us, hey, I know which ones are the Brand X ones because up on my shelf, they're the yellow CDs. I know right where they are. Boom, mm. they're right there. Wow. And it was like, it looked like a fucking school bus. It was great. And so, you know, it worked. People were using the music and they were licensing the tracks. And then we were, we'd go off and we'd do a project with Hans Zimmer or John Williams or, hey. you know, we were having these adventures, uh, you know, because the Hans Zimmer thing is stupid. We, we were doing trailers for The Last Samurai, who does the best drums in the universe, Hans Zimmer. Where does he get those drums? Well, they record those drums. Who records those drums? Alan Myerson records those drums. Oh, who's playing those drums? Well, this guy named Mike Fisher owns about 7 million Tycos, and then they go to a big scoring stage, and they beat the hell out of them. And Alan makes them sound cool, and then Hans takes them and shoves them in his samplers and his computers, and then he we went, yeah, we're going to do that. So we hired Alan Myerson. And we wow. hired Mike Fisher and we paid a gazillion dollars in cartage and we went down to Fox and we bashed our brains out on Tycos. It was Mike Fisher and two other guys. And we hired Alan to do it and produce it and mix it. And there's a track called Bushido that uh, got licensed for Last Samurai. And this is, it sounds so stupid, but it's true. And Hans told me now he might have been blowing smoke up my butt. Why Hans never needs to blow smoke up my butt, I couldn't tell you. But he goes later when we met him. You know, when I met with Grazier and Ron Howard and we were talking about what I was going to do on Last Samurai, they gave me a track of music from Parody Fair 
who's at Star Parody. She's an incredible composer, uh, and they had a music library. Their track had won the teaser, and then our track was used in the full length in the international. And he said, I got both, and then I got this track from Brand X. And the producer said, you know, the drums that we do in the score have to sound at least this good. And Hans said, so, you, you know, I lost some sleep over those drums. And so, you know, it's a silly story, but it, it just shows you that the, 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 big, the big people doing it at the big level have tools and they have teams and they have methods and not to, not to ever copy and not, I mean, you know, certainly we've all been asked to sound like this, that, or the temp score or the whatever. Right. So you just have to be careful and respectful with that. But I'm talking about the innovators and the pioneers can be observed and then you can dissect what they do. And then you can go back and do your very best. You're not John Powell and you're not John Williams and you're not Hans Zimmer. You're Tom Geyer. You know, you're, you're Roy. You're going to do what you do, but you can inform that by what you've seen. And, you know, we would go away and we would have these experiences working with these people. And then we would go back and do some brand X stuff. And now we've got new samples and now we've got a little money and now we've got a studio and now our work is reflecting what we're learning from these people. And, Man, you spend a couple of years getting your butt handed to you trying to do a Pirates movie. You don't come out the same. <laughs> mm. If you come out at all, you know, yeah. you're definitely changed. But we were able to grow Brand X. Brand X benefited from the things we were doing on the side. But then we were also able to learn that that's a really rough life, right? The sort of score on demand and work for hire and your life is not your own and as many reversions as it takes. And it's really, I don't want to say poison, but it's pervaded by this thought of you're only as good as your last gig. Your your last success defines you. And, you know, Hans would, I just keep doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hans would tell the story of, I win, I win the Academy Award for the Lion King. I'm out partying all night and then I have a meeting the next day for a film and I get my ass handed to me. Like they hate everything. And the Oscars sitting on the desk. They couldn't care less. They, they hate my theme. And Hans said, I would have given all of the money, the statue, the accolades. If, if you could have given me the theme that would have made those people happy in that minute, I would have given it all away. I was so miserable and they hated it so much. And it was so close on the heels of the greatest success I'd ever had. Right. Wow. And so you end up having to ask yourself, do I want to subject myself to that? And if the answer is no, it's going to be a tough trek through our business, right? That's the first thing. The second one is you come across people that kill themselves. They write something really good, and then you ask them to fix it or change it or do another one. And that was great. Cool. I need three more for this record. Three more. This is the greatest song ever written. This is going to make me a gazillion dollars. No, it's not. I mean, it might make us all some money. It's good. But you need 40 of those to even begin to start talking about wanting to do this for a living. Now we're back to what we talked about before we got rolling. Uh, Having something placed once is a fluke. Having something placed twice is lucky. Having something placed three, five, seven, nine, 10, 15, 100 times. Now you're getting somewhere, right? the people that you look at do this that are truly successful now, not as a label, not as what I've transitioned. 
And I didn't mean to. I coughed it, man. I went to sleep one night. I was a person and I woke up the next day and I was mm. a cockroach. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally turned. I, and or as my friends like the kid, you turned into a pirate. You used to be Peter Pan. You were the kid that never wanted to grow up. And now you're one of the bad guys. You're a publisher. Mm. Right. Mm. So I turned into a bad guy. But I tried to represent the good guys in my bad guyness. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so what comes out? It's so it's so amazing how it ties to to your story. And uh, I don't know anyone listening to this uh, if you haven't watched the movie Soul mm-hmm. on Disney. Um, it is it is the exact epitome of what of what uh, Tom is talking about. It's like this guy having a dream, and I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm gonna I'm not gonna spoil it. Uh, yeah. He plays the let's say he plays the gig he wants, and then. She's like, he's like, is that all? And she's like, yeah, come tomorrow, do it again. And, 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 and that's how actually this type of analog world works with, with, these, with these types of things. And it, it connects to the future because if you're only making money now from whatever you do, then and you're not looking at what's gonna actually sustain me in a few years when let's say I'm sick or I can't do something then it, it's just like it's you'll you'll have to have something else to sustain that and the whole goal of me as a creative is to create art and 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 do that yeah you know and, and you know I, to be a freelance person, takes energy right and uh, sadly we live in a world where the creative act you know and, and i don't want to get too deep into ai and these kinds of conversations but the, the the act of creation not from a god standpoint but just from this whether you're talking a paintbrush or we're back to baking bread again you took something that didn't exist you did a little bit of magic to it and you brought something into being that wasn't there before you created right that just like Yoda, I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. Darth's over there on the thing. I can't get enough. When when baby Yoda Grogu uses the Force to stop the Rancor in the Mandalorian or in Boba Fett, right? He's wasted after that. It took so much out of him, that creative act, that using the Force, that channeling the energy, that sitting in this chair. We call it ass-in-chair time, right? An artist needs to be compensated at least intellectually acknowledged. I mean, if you can't pay me for my ass in chair time, at least acknowledge that I sat in this chair and I suffered for you. And what you're hearing reflects that. Whether you like it or not is a secondary thing, but let's stop for a moment and go, that wasn't free. Mm. Too many people think that part's fucking free. It's not free. So how do you implement it? Well, you work with people that don't waste your time. That's a really great way to start, right? And you never know. You have to take risks and you have to work with people to find out what's what's up, just like they have to with you. But a lot of people tell me a similar story over and over, which is, oh, man, you know, I was talking to this person or I read this thing online or I whatever. And so then I spent two years doing that. And it didn't amount to shit. And now I find this piece of information out and it's actually working and I feel like I'm starting over and everything I did for those two years is wasted, right? How do we think about that? How do you think? I mean, if I said that to you, what would be your takeaway from that? Compound and interest. Yeah, kind of that, right? You've paid it in, whether you learn something from it or whether whatever, 
but it also tells me that there's a lot of people out there that get one idea and they chase it, right? And then they have regrets about how hard they chased it before they did a measurement of, am I chasing the right thing in the right way with the right people? And so I think that that's something that we all have to really ask ourselves. Because why? So now we're back to what? Because it's not free. And the, the best things you can do to protect yourselves are to at least have these thoughts, right? Am I doing the right thing with the right people for the right reasons? Now, obviously we do because we wouldn't be in here killing ourselves if we didn't think that. But it's good to stop every little bit and just ask those questions and then take a look at what you're doing. Take a look at where you see traction. Now now we're to data, right? Are you a data guy? I mean, you're a library composer. You must see data, right? Yeah. You can look at the data and you can at least attempt a little correlation between where the effort has paid a dividend and where the effort seems to have been nothing but an exercise, which in and itself has value. It has intrinsic value to do the work, right? Uh, and I think we get impatient. Why? How old were you when you first picked up the guitar? 12. And what you could do in two days. Now, if I were to, do you play the piano? Uh, tiny bit. Uh-huh. So if I was to say, okay, no more guitar for you, only piano. And you, now you're going to have to take lessons. And as an adult, you're going to have to learn this new thing where you're already really good at expressing yourself through a different instrument. You don't get to do that. You have to learn to speak a different language, right? A different way. Children can do it because anything they could do yesterday and then they added to today a, the new component to it, it's a success to them. They don't, they're not as impatient, mm. right? We know what we want to be able to do because we have already done it. <laughs> mm. We've played the guitar. Yeah. We've played the cool chord. We've got some chops. We can execute the thing. We don't want to take the time to have to learn to do it again on a different way. That's hard and it makes us impatient. And so I think that as an adult, you have to engage into the play because the play is where the art is and it's where the fun part is. But you also can't be naive in your play, right? And working to sustain yourself, making the right decisions, working with the right people, having a thick skin, making sure that you've balanced your time with your family, with your dog, with your friends against being a workaholic that's committed to only one thing at the cost of everything else. All of that stuff is hard to do. And if you compound that now, once you've done all of that, you got to come in here, shut the door and actually produce something. Um, I think a lot of people underestimate the balancing of all those plates because when you're in the early stages of it, you don't see that far ahead. I don't know. I'm kind of rambling on it, but are you, are you, are you feeling what I'm talking about? I mean, I hear you. And I mean, that leads to, to the question I, I ask uh, a lot of the, a lot of the, um, the people on the podcast, everyone actually is what, what's the biggest mistake you think people do coming into this world of, of, of music for sync, music for TV, music for libraries, music for brand X. Mm hmm. Um, one of the things, I mean, Brand X is changing a lot. You know, we're representing artists now and we're, we're moving into songs and covers. And a lot of the things, like I said before, that uh, some of these other people are really, really good at. And, you know, as a company, we moved away from a lot of that because uh, 
we were more interested in the network promos and the relationships with the larger clients that were doing volume. You know, we, John and I began to realize as you go from doing trailers to doing huge movies for big composers with massive budgets, that to approach this independently is difficult. And uh, the mistake of either not going far enough, not going hard enough, or not realizing that the thing that you're focused on is only this big, right? Trailer music sync is only a tiny amount of the money that's generated on a yearly basis from a global perspective by music, right? When you go to the production music conference, one of the things they were saying that I loved was commercial music, which is what they call Paul McCartney and Paula Abdul and Naz and everybody else, right? That's commercial music. And then production music, which is library music and sync music and whatever names it has, uh, are a bit like Hollywood in the video game industry, right? Everybody looks at Hollywood, but the video game industry out earns it. It's a bigger thing. And yet it flies just far enough under the radar that don't that a lot of people don't realize the value. They're they're obsessed with the shiny toy, right? And so, you know, we made a decision to go catch lots of fish in a really big ass net instead of being out there on the high seas with a harpoon trying to get a whale. We're right back to the turn the sausage and crank, you know. And so I think a lot of people get caught up in the hunt for the whale. Because we've been told at some level that, hey, you know, if you have a friend that is a music supervisor or you meet somebody with a music library online and you give them a cool track, they're going to pass it along and you're going to land the Captain America spot. And now you're going to and you're going to be a trailer composer now. Right. And now all of a sudden you're a peer and you're going to quit your day job and you're going to do this for a living because, you know, your buddy got this thing pushed through. And now we're back to the whole thing of come back tomorrow night now yeah that was great man you smoked tonight you're a badass you channeled you'll you channeled the gods today now come back tomorrow do it again (laughs) or in trailer land it's friday night at four o'clock and we've screwed around all week and now we're going home so now you channel the gods over the weekend and have for something for us on monday that Mm. one's even harder right (laughs) Mm. um so i would say the biggest mistake people make is that they see a way in and a flashy thing that makes, you know, what they hopefully perceive is going to be a huge amount of money. I mean, we haven't even talked about the expectation versus the reality of what the average sink places <laughs> and pays. You know, there is exotic, extravagant things that pay a lot of money. And you hear about those things and you see about those things a lot, but it really doesn't have much to do with what you have to be able to do to make a living on a day in and day out, year in and year out basis, right? And a lot of the truth of that is that the people that are doing that have multiple hundreds of pages on their BMI statement, period. Their stuff's getting placed all the time over and over and over and has been for years. It's not flashy. It's not glamorous. A lot of it's low drone in D, you know, (laughs) it's just how it is. And I think in one way people are really hip to that because look at the number of people that are making light tension TV tracks and throwing those out there. And that's going to be the way they're going to make their living, right? I mean, it's not that people don't know this stuff. Going any too much in any one direction and hedging all of your bets against one strategy instead of tasting a lot of different things and doing a lot of experimentation, giving it a lot of time, and then seeing what's working, right? You already touched on it. And being able to mentally 
and physically and financially sustain yourself while this grows, right? You said it. You have to be able to do life while this takes the time and the energy and the creativity that it does, you know? Yep. And going to be a lot of no's. 100%. That's the other thing, you know? Yep. The, the, you have to be able to survive the no's. And so it has to be satisfied. Today, it's a great example. <clears throat> Making an album that has no purpose uh, with some friends of mine for no other reason than I want to. And I have a gut feeling that somewhere, somebody in the world will find a use for it and it will probably get synced, right? The onus isn't on it to change my zip code. The onus is on it to be a nice piece of music that somebody might listen to that might actually want to put in their thing. One of the biggest things I've ever had recently is a track called Cuban Cigars. And it's on this world and ethnic production release that we did. And it's this, you know, little mambo faux Latin thing made with contact instruments. But this guy that makes chocolates, who's got 45 million followers on TikTok or whatever the hell ridiculous thing it is, used this piece of music and put it on a thing where he made a chocolate cigar. So you have all of the 72 million streams or whatever it is of that particular video. And then you've got another 30 to 40 million of reaction videos of people, you know, the split screen where they watch the video and they do the, and so it's self propagated into this thing. And the only reason it got picked is because I literally called the track Cuban cigars. Right. But I made the track because it made me happy and it made me laugh. And it was a fun beat that I liked to play. You know, there was no more intent in it than there was the joy that was in my heart. And I think that's really naive and childish but also so essential because it's the only way you're going to be able to keep doing it. Oh, whoa. Yeah. The only way you're going to be able to do it for as long as you're going to need to do it is you're going to have to love it to a place that's unreasonable, right? It's almost inhuman. And then you're going to have to find a way to balance that with actually being a sane functioning human that has real human relationships and can be in the world, enjoying things like dogs and food. Right. It really, and it's, it's impossible and yet possible, right? And you just have to find where your where your components are, right? Your balance of things. I mean, look, why are you doing this? This this time could be spent composing a track. You're choosing to do this. There's something about this that you are choosing to do. It's bettering the I'm saying bettering the world as I sit here and talk about myself, or you're you're giving stuff to people for yourself and for them. And you're spending your time and your energy to do it, you know? Yeah. That's beautiful, man. And when we pick up our guitar, if one person listens or a million people listen, we did it for the same purpose. It, yeah. We picked up our guitar and that's what came out of our hands. Now, if we can find a way to turn that into money and ultimately a way to live, that's got to be a side effect for you, you know, and not to be too deep about it. But when the primary goal, I'm going to make this work or else. Yep. You know, that comes across somehow. <laughs> yeah, you're fucked if you do it like that. I mean, like, it's it's just, um, it's a sauce to unhappiness uh, kinda, in a way. It kind of is. Yeah. And, and so have you found, how, how's your balance? How are you doing? I mean, you know. To be completely honest, like, l lately it's been a bit chaotic uh, because I've just moved into a new place and uh, I'm building a studio. So there's so much on my mind that I'm kind of in this, in a bit of a passive state with where, when it comes to music, like I'm just doing for a few libraries. And then, you know, it comes to the subject of side hustles and side jobs where 
uh, um, for me, my side job, job is actually like doing customs and doing like uh, stuff for, for ads. I've decided it consciously. I want to do it. I want to do that as my side uh, thing because it also improves the, the, the creative side. Yes. You know, you, you've got a lot of things. You're juggling a ton of stuff and you're yeah. having to compartmentalize. Yeah. In my, my business partner, you know, he's a, so Brand X went from two guys working in a garage on a handshake to we have 11 people on the team now, right? And so we've had to become a bit corporate and a bit organized and a bit methodical because otherwise we waste people's time and we burn people out, which we hate to do. Um, but the, the, the thinking of, you know, you're always going to have a lot on your mind. And the more you can figure out what your three big rocks are, right? What, what are the big things I have to carry? Because yeah. if, if I, I can carry those things, then I can have the capacity to consider. You play video. Are you a gamer? No. Nah. Okay. So I play a little game. Uh, and I, I like this game called Fallout. Uh, and one of the strategies is you, you scavenge. I'm not sure they're all like this, but you got to pick stuff up and carry it around, right? And you have a yeah. weight limit of how many things you can carry. And a bottle of water is one, one weight unit. But that gun that you're going to pick up is 17 weight units, which means you got to eat three cookies so that you can afford to carry the gun, right? <laughs> Life is kind of like that. You have to go, okay, I want to, I have a maximum capacity of this. I know the fundamental things I have to carry are these, and they're going to take up most of the weight. So get those on board. Then you'll have the capacity to know how much bottles of water and little items that carry less weight, your side hustles. How much capacity are you going to have to carry those side hustles right. knowing what your big things that you're carrying are? Gosh, that's such good advice. I mean, it's helped me personally in my life recently to go, okay, my big rocks. How are my big rocks doing? My big rocks are good today. Cool. Mm. So now you can consider planting some flowers and pushing some stuff around and you have capacity beyond your big rocks. How's your big rocks? Hey, man, my big rocks are fucked. Mm. I got to spend all time today, you know, make because my big rocks are squirrely and and i can't do anything else until the big rocks are sound so it, it's really really a good thing that you said to to compartmentalize and know what's your side hustle know these the things also i'm building a studio i moved to a new place again we're back to siphoning that's siphoning energy off that you have to account for right and so be kind to yourself guys yeah you know you're not always going to be able to operate at full capacity. Sometimes you're going to have to dial everything down because today my wife is sick with COVID, right? Three and a half years, we've made it. No COVID. This weekend was the weekend. My daughter was coming home. We were going to the friend's wedding. My wife gets COVID for the first time. Damn, man, that sucks. There's always going to be those things and they're always going to take your time and your energy and you have to love yourself and allow yourself time to work through those things because they're always going to be there. And if you start getting stinky about that, you know, you're back to what you said a minute ago, that, that, that's going to infect the music and you're fucked if that's how you started. Right. Yeah. 100%. So balance, balance in things is, is really cool. I know we're at an hour, so we got to, yeah. Yeah. we got to cut it off, but you know, um, do genuine work. Don't be afraid to kind of think about, I don't want to say mass producing, but you don't, not everything needs to be the perfect masterpiece allow yourself to walk away from things that you don't consider. And that's why John and I work really well together, right? Um, I'm too impulsive. I'm, I want to be done sooner than I should be done. And John is wanting to get as close to a hundred percent as he can, but he's already at 98 and he's been there for three days, right? 
there has to be somebody that says, no, that's as done as it's ever going to get. And plus the people that are going to use it, not that they won't know the difference, but perfection doesn't exist is actually the, the thing here, right? You've got it better than humanly possible already. And you continuing to work on it. John will call it. I've over polished, right? I've put the thing yeah. that used to have all these cool crags and features in, and I've tumbled it so much that it's completely barren now. So you can overstroke stuff too. So, you know, no one to walk away, no one to collaboration. You said it right at the beginning, you know, you play something for somebody and their take on it informs you. They're not saying what you did was bad. They're saying, Hey, that's what makes me think this. And that can either agree with what you thought, or it can help you reframe it into something new. So don't be afraid of that. Um, and just work with as many cool people as you can. You know, I've been so lucky. I mean, so lucky that we've had good relationships. I mean, big names aside, there's been cool people at every level, right? We walked into Zimmer. We could have been the enemy. Those guys and girls could have torn us to shreds. And instead they went, no, they're here to help. Cool. Let them in. And off we went, right? And every step of the way, we've been met with open arms and open minds and open hearts. And we're not threatened by sharing information or lifting each other up. And this is hard, guys. This is hard, people. And, you know, I, I, I sound like a freaking Hallmark card, but, you know, help each other out and don't be afraid to share information because in sharing information, you learn new stuff too. you know, uh, the best way I can, and I'll finish with this, uh, if you can, I'll let you got questions like John and I had both been using the same DAW. We were DP guys, we're QBS guys now. And <clears throat> I remember I had like this way of working and I knew all my key commands or whatever. And I'd sit there and then about. Twice a day, he'd do something. And I go, what What did you just do? And he go, oh, I hit, you know, Apple Shift, whatever it was. And I went, no shit. I've been using this DAW for five years, and I had no I, I've been going up here and pulling down this menu and telling it to do this, and I, that's a key command that's built in. Damn, I, you learn. Or I'd watch him cut audio in Pro Tools and how he did you know, crossfader sitting with a mixer who – takes our base and puts it into the mono center channel. And that's where the thunder comes from at 27 Hertz. You know, if you're there and your ears and your eyes are open, you're going to learn whether that person's three years old or 300 years old. So, you know, the only bad relationship you don't, you have is the one you didn't make, you know, oh, there it is. That's the last yes, one, you know, yes. Just mix only, it up and meet wow. people and work with cool people, man. The, 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 only, the only bad stuff is the stuff that you didn't try. Mm. <laughs> so what a great hang. Dude, I've, I could go on for yeah, hours. I know. I'm, I'm so mean, sorry. Man, we, we will, we will, we will uh, run it back because, uh, man, it's just like I, it, we haven't even touched the tip of this iceberg. So I'm, I'm Tom, man, I'm... I'm I just want to express how grateful I am for you coming on and for us, for you taking the time for this to give so much knowledge and, and, and gems. And I'm, I'm, I, I usually have these rapid fire questions, but I'm, I'm not even going to go into it because I feel like this is enough. This is where it needs to, to let's do that. And you know to, what, let's do a part two. And, yeah. and all let, now there's all the background and everybody that has sat for this long, uh, knows all they need to know. And the next time I would love to do rapid fire questions. I would love to do something with you where we get a third and a fourth person, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, that'll happen. That'll. I that'll love happen. talking about this stuff. I, I yeah. love it. It's been my whole life, and I absolutely love it. And to know that there are other people out there that are interested in it, too, fills my heart with joy, man. So this is a 100%. pleasure for me. Really and, and I want to just say a little a little thing before we wrap this up. Um, before Before you reached out to me, um, I was, again, I was a fanboy of uh, Brand X, okay? I was following your stuff. I was actually, I'm speaking with Trenton sometimes and via email. Yep. Um, and I was thinking, man, I've, I swear to God, this is not, I, I'm not even uh, over-exaggerating anything in this story. I was one day sitting, sitting down thinking, man, I would love to have Tom on the show, okay? I would love to have him. And then I had this imposter syndrome. I was like, he's this, I mean, he's a really successful dude to me and he's somebody I look up to. I'm kind of scared. Now, that minute I open up my computer, my Mac, I open up my Facebook, I see one message and then I see your name. And then you're like, hey, I've, mm -hmm. uh, I, I've just seen your, uh, uh, the message you sent me. Uh, Let's. I would. I, I've seen your podcast, and I would love to go on. And that's uh, that to me. It was God was in the room. If you can, mm -hmm. I mean, like there was just the feeling. And I am so happy that it happened, and that this interview happened, and uh, there will be a part two to this. So I love it, dude. You know, it's, it, again, you put it out there, right? whatever whatever caused me to go and i'm thinking you know, i'm gonna i'll just be i'll just be real with you i always feel like oh so you you're you're gonna go what you need to go talk about yourself so you're going to ask if you can do this and it's like what are you doing you're just gonna go talk with another person that is putting really cool information out about something that you've been through a lot of there's there's nothing but love in that right yes. and so for you to feel intimidated or for me to feel embarrassed or ego driven or whatever, we're just hanging out, man. And it's for the better of us. And it's for the better of anybody listening. The worst connection is the one that you haven't made. There it yeah. is. We're leaving you with this, Tom. Thanks so much okay. for coming on. I appreciate you, man. Have a great night and we'll talk to you soon. Yo, this was one of the best episodes in my opinion just i had so much fun with tom and i'm so grateful that he came on yeah it looks like we're gonna do a round two so stick around for that and let me know what you thought about this podcast leave a five-star rating and a review if you can if you wanna if you feel like it and if you feel like hitting me up on socials, resharing the posts, doing anything like that to help the podcast get into more ears, that also really helps and means the world and also shows me that I'm doing work that is meaningful to other people. Plus, it helps me get more amazing guests on this show. So thank you all for listening. This means the world. Hope you had as many takeaways as I have and see you on the next Sync Jams episode. Peace.